0: man. Alright, so we've been culminating this study uh, of the lesson I want to hit some highlights about the view of creation stories. First of all, you've got to understand that for 3,000 years of church history Genesis was discussed as, as the different variances of what Genesis meant were discussed in terms of the societies around them, and it was viewed as a strong polemic. Who knows what a polemic is? It's a word or a document in response to something you disagree with, okay? So the author of Genesis was writing, in the first 11 chapters particularly, was writing as a polemic against the mythology of Egypt, Canaan, Mesopotamia, creation myths which were all highly contrasted with what God inspired the author of Genesis to write. And the discussion of scholars and theologians for 3,000 years was all about this, about the main themes, that God is different than nature, that he's independent of creation, that he alone is the creator and didn't do it with the help of lesser gods. God alone is transcendent uh, beyond uh, creation, and that mankind is the image of God in creation, the focus and the climax of God's creative works. These are mainly the main themes of the creation story that we went over, to, went over in a previous lesson. All right, There were like ten themes we talked about. Well, this is what consumed the debate and the discussion among scholars, theologians, and Christians for 3,000 years. Well, Jews before that, okay? That's 3,000 years. This whole idea of young earth, old earth, and pan earth, okay, is only a new thing. And it's only emerged over the last 200 years of history. Okay? So when, when people started looking at the creation and started creating all these different fields of study, it's only in the last 200 years where these different camps emerged, all right? So it's important to understand the discussions we've been having are very new, all right, in terms of history. All right, and so what has happened is I have noticed this has happened to me. And and when I talk about the flood of problems, I'm talking about flood of problems I've wrestled with in these texts. And this is one that is an odd thing that I wanted to highlight just for a couple of minutes. These Over here, when you look at the Bible, it talks about God's works, all right? These ancient texts talk about the works of God. Psalm 111, verses 1 through 2, 3 also should be in there, but it says, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor, and majesty in his work, and his righteousness endures forever. And then all these other verses, including Job 37, 14 through 16, Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancings of the clouds? The wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Okay? So, so these all these verses talk about considering the works of God. Anybody find that controversial? No? Nobody finds that controversial, right? But then you get over here and you talk about this, and now you go, whoa, what's going on? Because in our theology, we believe that God's power, through God's power, he can do what? Anything. That's always the answer, right? Always the answer. It's not a wrong answer. It's a true answer. So God can do anything. But look at the tension between these two. What's the tension between these two? Between the scriptures that say, consider the works of God, and the theology that says God can do anything. What's the tension? Well, I'll tell you the tension for me that has happened to me. When I have considered the works of God, and I have talked to people about the works of God, the people who believe that God can do anything, tell me what? It happened just this last week, not in these words, okay? I was talking to someone about the creation story. It's funny how often I've heard this this last few weeks, people not even in this class. All of a sudden, I heard a story about a D group where a woman came up to them, at, at the coffee shop and started talking to him about the young earth, old earth controversy. Just talking right out of the clear blue. And what happens to me is when I start considering what God. Good morning. Come on in. Is this the Book of
1: Mark Bible
2: study, though.
0: No, but it, you can come in.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure.
0: I don't know where is the Book of Mark. What
2: are you guys doing? A series? Or you? Yeah, we're we're doing, like,
0: we're doing a we're doing a series on the what creation uh, doctrines, yeah. creation story. Uh,
2: Danny,
0: oh, Danny's—it's down in the cafeteria.
2: Cafeteria.
0: But you can stay here. (laughs) (laughs)
2: You know, if I don't like Danny, I'll come
0: back. Oh, (laughs) well, we know you'll like Danny. That sounds right. All right. So what I get in trouble with is people say you're trying to put God in a box. You ever heard that story? I've heard that. People say, you're trying to put God in the box when I'm trying to decide and figure out what God has done versus what he could have done. You see, he could have done anything. The question isn't could he, what, what he could do. The question is, what did he do? You see, and it's in what he did do that scripture points us to finding benefit. Once we study what God has done, then we can identify the glory of God, we can see the glory of God, and we get benefit from that by studying what he did do. Studying what he might have done or could maybe woulda, shoulda, coulda done doesn't have the same power as actually trying to figure out what he actually did. You see the difference? And I, I, from all through my years of teaching, I've run into this, and it didn't dawn on me until this week why, I'm getting that, why I get that kind of static from time to time, but I got it this week, and it kind of dawned on me, oh, that's why, because people, Christians, think, and, and I'm rightly so. I'm not saying either one of these are bad. I'm just saying it creates a little tension that emerges in a claim of putting God in a box. You see? It's weird. Anyway... But that leads to a problem. It leads to another problem of a story. Anybody know what happened in Winona Lake, Indiana in 1945? Famous, famous thing happened in Winona Lake, Indiana, 1945. Anybody? I I wasn't born. He wasn't born. He wasn't born. That was the famous thing. (laughs) I thought maybe somebody would know. That Youth for Christ was started in 1945 in New Winona Lake by a group of ministers. One of those ministers was a guy named Charles Templeton. Anybody know him? Anybody heard of him? All right. You may have heard the name Templeton from the Templeton Prize. He's a famous, uh, famous investor who tries to bring religion and together. I don't know if Charles Templeton is related to that Templeton, but Charles Templeton became a Christian in 1936. In 1942, he became an evangelist. 1945, he was one of the youth leaders to gather in Winona Lake to start Youth for Christ, who hired a famous evangelist as their first paid evangelist. Who was that? Billy Graham. Graham. Okay, some people knew that. Okay. 1948, he started to doubt Christianity. In 1957, he entered Princeton Seminary and declared he was an agnostic. In 1996, he wrote Farewell to God My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Now, this is a sad story, but I think it's emblematic of this issue of what we're discussing in the last 10 weeks. All right, he writes in his book All Our Differences with Him and Billy Graham came to a head in a discussion, which better than anything I know explains Billy Graham and his phenomenal success as an evangelist. In the course of our conversation, I said, But Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe, for instance, the biblical account of creation. The world was not created over a period of days a few thousand years ago. It it has evolved over millions of years. It's not a matter of speculation. It's a demonstrable fact. And Billy says, I don't accept that, and there are reputable scholars who don't. Who are these scholars, I said? Men in conservative Christian colleges? Billy says, yes, most of them. But that is not the point. I believe the Genesis account of creation because it is in the Bible. I've discovered something in my ministry. When I take the Bible literally, when I proclaim it as the word of God, my preaching has power. When I stand on the platform and say, God says, or the Bible says, the Holy Spirit uses me, where there are results. Wiser men than you and I have been arguing questions like this for centuries. I don't have the time or the intellect to examine all sides of the theological dispute, so I've decided once for all to stop questioning and accept the Bible as God's word. But Billy, I protested, you cannot do that. You don't dare stop thinking about the most important questions of life. Do it, and you begin to die. It's intellectual suicide. I don't know anybody else, about anybody else, Billy said, but I've decided that that's the path for me. Now, this led him to his this interjecting of the study of God's creation made a stumbling block for people like Charles Templeton. Okay, and then uh, Charles Templeton was interviewed in late in his eighties, a long time later. Late in his eighties, he was interviewed by Lee Strobel in his book *A Case for Faith*. And Temp- um, he was—he asked Templeton what he thought about Jesus. Okay. And he was, Templeton began, the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was intrinsically the wisest person who I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. His his commitment was total and led to his own death, much to the detriment of the world. What would one say about him except that this was a form of greatness? I was taken aback. You sound like you really care about him, I said. Well, yes. He is the most important thing in my life, came his reply. He stuttered, searching for the right word. I know it may sound strange, but I have to say I adore him. Everything good I know. Everything decent I know. Everything pure I know. I learned from Jesus. Yes, yes. And to, um, just look at Jesus. He castigated people. He was angry. People don't think of him that way, but they don't read the Bible. He had a righteous anger. He cared for the oppressed and the exploited. There's no question that he had the highest moral standard, that at least um, the least duplicity, the greatest compassion of any human being in history, there has been many other wonderful people, but Jesus is Jesus. Uh, but, you know, he's the most, he's stopped and started again. In my view, he is the most important human being who has ever existed. That's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear him say. And if I may put it this way, he said, I miss him. With tears flooded his eyes, he turned his head and looked downward, raising his left Hand to shield his face from me. His shoulders bobbed as he wept. Templeton fought to compose himself. I could tell it wasn't like him to lose control in front of a stranger. He sighed deeply and wiped away a tear. There, after a few more awkward moments, he waved his hand dismissively, finally quietly, but adamantly he insisted enough of that. All right. So what does that tell me? All right, so here Billy Graham is led more people to Christ than the d- disciples. Okay, <clears throat> and he has this conversation with Templeton, that Templeton then le- uses that as an excuse to walk away from the Christian faith. Whether he walked away from Jesus or not, we won't know till eternity, right? Mm-hmm. But he walked away from the Christian faith because that interview that Strobel did in his 80s, makes it sound like he still loved Christ. Yeah. All right? But here's the problem. Here's, here's why I teach the creation story. Remember what I told you at the beginning. I told you, I'm not teaching you to convince you of one view, the young earth or the old earth. And I've told you, I was a young earther, strong young earther, and now I'm a strong old earther. And the pan earthers there's people that, you know, like Deborah. But, But my main goal in teaching is to teach you what Billy Graham didn't say, what Billy Graham failed to say. Now understand, this was in the 40s. Guess what we didn't know in the 40s that we've talked about in the last 10 weeks? Billy Graham had no idea, probably no idea, very limited idea of the theory of general relativity. He probably hadn't heard of Edwin Hubble's discovery in 1934 mm-hmm. of the expanding universe. Okay? He probably didn't, because that kind of stuff doesn't bubble up to common knowledge, especially in those days and age. There was no internet. Right? So he probably wouldn't even have known that. Guess what else Billy Graham would have known in 1945 through
3: 48? Lots of
0: things. Scripturally.
3: Well, i just rather answer lots of things. Lots of things.
0: That's, that's this versus that, right? Lots of things, everything. What he didn't know specifically and probably wasn't aware of much of it, he may have known that some guy discovered a bunch of uh, vessels in the caves of Qumran, but he didn't know anything about them at that time. All right, He had no idea the significance of the caves of Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls by the, when he had this conversation. Right? So there's lots and lots of discoveries He didn't know about dark energy, didn't know about physics, didn't know about the discovery of uh, the universe. Yeah. What
4: did he know?
0: He knew Jesus and him crucified. That's what he knew. but his mistake was his mistake was claiming that his view of the literal translation of the Bible was the only view there is. He didn't that that's the only view he knew okay?
3: It's a true view, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. In 1945, it's a true view. Right. What we know today is that there are other scriptural views that are just as literal and just as legitimate as that one. He had a uh, time, about that time, where he was in doubt,
4: and he didn't know what to do, and he prayed about it, and he went out. The Lord revealed to him, the Bible's true,
0: you just stick with me and preach the word, and that's what he did. Right, right. but let me right. share with you. Right. We've just spent ten weeks showing you that the Bible's true, it's literally true, and the earth is old. Okay? We just spent ten weeks doing that. Okay? That it's fine and dandy, it's acceptable to mean, take the Bible literally.
4: You're, you're going, you're, why, why put down someone like Billy Graham? You, you can put down the disciples, the apostles. They didn't know any of this either. Right. But you know what? They started the church, and there was all these people that believed. And we don't have to have all this
3: stuff. I right. You're not putting him down. No, I'm not putting him down. I not like you're All this,
0: right. Then I'll deep apologize, deep. because I don't intend to put him down. Yeah, no. What well, okay. he believed is true. What well, he, he, he believed the Bible is literally true. But so his view was... His view was the earth was only a few thousand years old. That's the mistake. Not the Bible's true. My brother, my and this is personal, my brother, this week, I just started my podcast and made it available through an RSS feed in Facebook. All right? I'm still having a fight with iTunes to get it listed, but I think I'm on track to get it listed. But my brother, he put on Facebook, he said, how old is the earth? And I, And I thought, well, In the first couple of episodes, we hadn't talked about that, I think. But, uh, or not much. Anyway, um, then he comes back. I didn't answer. He comes back and says it's 6,000 years old. Now, is my brother saved? Sure. Is he take the Bible literally? Sure. Is he wrong about the age of the earth? I think so. See?
3: See the difference? You're just giving us deeper knowledge, but again, you've never gotten away from the, the real message about the Bible and its purpose and its intent is, is to share, you know, right. the gospel message about salvation and why right. Christ came. Billy Graham so
0: is just, not it's, it's wrong about the Bible. He's wrong about the age of the earth. To
3: help right. some of these people out there in the world right. to, to help have weapons to combat their thinking. thinking. What does
0: right. Paul say? What does Paul say about the Sabbath? Anybody know?
3: To keep it holy.
0: Which, no? which day?
3: Well, that's... <laughs> depends what does Paul
0: say about keeping the day of hot Sabbath holy? He says <laughs> one guy considers one day the Sabbath, another guy considers right. another day of the Sabbath. It's, all right?
3: It's, it's, it
0: have I consider all days holy. alike, he says. All right? So the scriptures are true, mm-hmm. even if we see things differently.
2: I but a lot of and I, I do think too I mean like even uh, even back in seminary uh, with a lot of these discoveries whether it's the Dead Sea Scrolls or whatever Dan we we learn we learn uh, the ancient languages better so yeah. like these new translations yeah. that are being yeah. picked out are actually becoming more and more accurate not less and less accurate right. because the discovery goes if you're looking at it chronologically the discovery of of language is going both directions so we find older documents we uncover older civilizations we learn words better um, even things that aren't necessarily biblical like so when we come across ancient literature that ancient hebrew prophetic or ancient hebrew literature that has words like day yom right yeah. remember in the hebrew um, we come across the word used in other books we're like oh that's what they meant by that i mean this isn't exactly right but it would be like me driving down the road with my son when it's pouring rain outside and go man it's raining cats and dogs out here and 1,000 years later, somebody reads that my son journaled that conversation, and they are 100% true that I did say it's raining cats and dogs. But when some ancient historian discovers another piece of literature that explains what cats and dogs is, it is true. And so you could have a, a preacher talk about Mike's sermon, or Mike's conversation with his son a 1,000 years from now, and go, it says it was raining cats and dogs, and he's 100% right. And it is true, and what I said was 100% true but they didn't understand it or get it 100 in, in exactly the way that I intended it. See the problem. Right, so like Details. Right. What happened through a lot of those early Billy Graham era is with the discovery of all this ancient stuff that's really come about. Even in the last yeah, man 20 years, there's been such great discoveries. Is we're learning it. So it's not that what Billy Graham said is wrong, and it's not that he. It's not that the Bible was wrong. He is right, and what the Bible said is right. But we're discovering what was intended by the author better. And, and Charles
0: Templeton was right. the one
2: that was wrong. Right.
0: He allowed yeah. a, a rigid view to take his eyes off of Jesus. Right. All right? Mm-hmm. Now, he may not have, okay, because the later interview shows that he had a serious, serious love of
3: Christ. But only as a man.
0: Well, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But he I don't know that. It. And you don't know that. He we can only that. judge the outside, That's not the inside.
3: Words where he said it was a moral man.
0: Yes, he was. Mm-hmm. But he was a moral man. That is true, too, right? Never,
3: he didn't look
0: at him at My point body. is, my point is, Charles Templeton took the rigidity of... He had the wrong view. Jesus, uh, Billy Graham didn't have the wrong view. Billy Graham said, whatever the Bible says, I believe... Whatever the Bible says, I believe it's literally true. But I can say that, too. I believe the Bible's literally true mm-hmm. when it says what it says, But the difference is, he thought, and my brother thinks, the earth is 6,000 years old, and I think it's 4.3 billion years old. All right? Literally true, and consistently true, allows for different views of the same scripture.
4: So how does all of this affect salvation?
0: Because, because when we're talking to people in the world who only have the scientific view, all right? I don't know anybody. Well, your kids do, your grandkids do, and your great-grandkids do, okay? What I'm saying is, we can have insight today that it's okay to have different views of the scientific data and still look at Jesus. This is why I'm not debating my brother on the age of the earth. I won't. If he wants to think it's 6,000 years old, good for him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If somebody wants to say, That evolution happened, we had a whole class on evolution, evolution did happen, alright? It does happen today. It just depends on what you mean by evolution. Go with God, keep your eyes on Jesus.
2: Alright? Now I will say, just, I mean, even in my own heart, and Dan, we've talked about variants of this over the last number of years, but, uh, so like what Billy Graham got really right was not understanding what all of the words in the Bible mean. What he got right was saying, "I'm going to choose to put my trust in this." Yeah, yeah. and uh, um, that's, that's right. Dinner, you need about, right, that's exactly right. That. And so, like, even for me, with a lot of these things in the Bible, um, they, I mean, there are things that it's like, okay, the the current science of today doesn't appear to line up with this. But if the Bible is proven to be true, over to, I mean, all through history, I mean, yeah. it's like as we discover things in the Bible, whether it's sphere of the earth, number of stars in the sky, how the blood works in the body, I mean. There are teachings in the Bible all the way through that the science of the day looked like it contradicted, and the Bible. So I, even now, it's like I'm gonna. I like Billy Graham's perspective of I'm gonna trust it even if it doesn't make sense to science today. Um, what I'm gonna believe is that we, as limited, finite humans, don't see what the inspired work of God did. Um, what the Templeton guy got. So the Templeton guy, what he got right possibly was understanding natural evidence what he got wrong was placing his faith faith in the wrong thing i think what billy graham got right was putting his faith in the right thing what he got wrong was understanding natural evidence
0: but even so at that time there was no real way for him to understand natural evidence that's, right. that's what i'm telling you all right so here's the deal all right we're gonna move on i knew this would be a, a long time coming all right so let's move on but but it breaks my heart to see somebody like Charles Templeton over such a simple thing lose his faith, yeah. and it wasn't necessary.
2: Yeah. That's That's what what I was and, and Dan, and I know you, you got to move on. I've thought about this. I had, uh, I had a conversation, but it was the guy that uh, Chad and I met with here a while back. Do you think it's possible that people have heart issues, and they're looking like a like like static electricity being built up? They're looking for something to to pick. You know, like like the, like it, it may it, have been like, always why? a problem. Why? Right, right. Person, so like, even well,
0: though why? he was evangelist, he may already he may all along had a heart problem that he was keeping his eyes on the wrong thing.
2: Right, and uh, but and, you and can't
0: they, judge that. We can't. No, know no, that. no, we no, can't. No, I mean, that's,
2: that's totally just uh, speculation. And then he was just looking for something to, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Let me, let me challenge you again. Another thing that has challenged me. Col- Colossians 2.8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. The question is, what spiritual forces, what vain and deceptive philosophy have you and I fallen into? Let's pursue that a little bit. Okay? The curse and the fall. There were four things the curse was limited to, all right? In Genesis 3, there were four things the curse was limited to. What are they? Does anybody know? I assumed you guys have read this sometimes in the past. What are the four things the curse was limited to?
3: The ground. And the ground. Birth and bearing. And...
0: What else? Job the woman. Right. The man. The snake the serpent, and the ground. What's not listed in the curse that is taught live, that by young earthers particularly? The universe, right? the universe and animals. animals. Oh. Okay? Oh, okay? There's no mention of animals in the curse. Mm-hmm. Alright. So as we know, the curse, sin, has three major impacts. It wastes time, It increases pain, and it causes more work to be done to overcome it. That's the message, the thematic message of the curse. All right? So what did the fall not do that I was taught as a kid that it did? Okay? Cause the law of decay. How do I know? Because in Genesis one. What shows up on the fourth day? Whether you believe God created it on the fourth day or it just shows up on the fourth day, what is the fourth day? What was created? What was shown up? Sun, moon, and stars. Right? Guess what? Sun and stars do not shine unless the law, pervasive law of decay is already in place. Guess what else doesn't show up? Um, you, what did God give for food to the people in Genesis 1?
1: All the plants.
0: Right? He gave them all the plants. They cannot eat plants without two things happening. What are they?
3: Sunshine, grow
0: it. Well, that's right. you got to have plants. But they can't eat plants unless the plants die mm. and they can digest them. Both of those things require the pervasive law of decay to be in place. Okay? So when I was a kid, my dad and others taught that the law of decay didn't occur until the fall. But the Bible says it was already in place from day one. Because the serpent was in there. That's right. He had already. And that's a good point. The fall of man wasn't the first sin, right? The fall of angels did that too. All right. Uh, The ground changed because of man's sin. The ground is cursed because of you. Okay, you're not cursed because of the ground. The ground is cursed because of you, the Bible says in the curse. And how did man's um, toil increase as a result of the curse? Well, one of the things that happened is he changed location. Okay? He was no longer in the garden where everything was light, bright, and breezy. God pushed him out and kept him out of the garden. Alright? And then the death of animals, I just talked about that. Uh the death of animals was already happening there's no access to the tree of life why did, and this is something I've always wondered about And in, in this study I've, I've studied on it some why did God think it was so important to keep man away from the tree of life he said why? he said because they might partake of it and live forever so God was doing man a favor by allowing him to die because if he was eternal, if he was immortal with a fallen evil nature, he couldn't escape it. So death allows man to escape their fallen nature. And so by kicking them out of the garden and keeping them away from the tree of life, he kept them from living forever. But what does that mean about the tree of life? It
3: means they have to keep
0: eating it. That's right. It means they would have had to keep eating it. The law of decay was in effect, so to, to overcome the, law, the, the impact on their bodies, they're humans, just like us to overcome that they had to have a, a sustaining source and that sustaining source was the tree of life in the garden, apparently because that's what the Bible says they would access that and then they would uh, not um, age like they would normally so the tree of life was sustaining their bodies even though the law of decay was already in effect. Now I was never taught that as a kid. Never. Anybody ever heard this before? No. See, is it wrong? Might be. Is it literally taking the Bible as true? Yes. So it's a different view of taking the Bible literally. See? See the challenge? This is a challenge I've had. Now, we're getting into some serious stuff now. (laughs) Okay? The name of this, the name of this lesson is the, a flood of problems. And as you've seen, I've already had faced a fl- flood of problems, and everything we've brought up here has been right, and it's this tension, this tension that exists between the way I was taught it as a child and the way that I've come to understand it as an adult. And, I, and I, I feel like, and I hope, I have compassion on both. I don't want to say people who disagree with me are wrong, morally, going to go to hell, you hypocrites. No, I would never say that. I would say they're mistaken. I would like to say they're mistaken in the sense of being incorrect. But they still believe in the inerrancy of Scripture like I do. They believe in the literal translation like I do. Alright? But it's the interpretation that's different. Does that make
1: sense? Mm-hmm. Yes? Well, there's a, a place, too. If you don't want to wrestle with all this and feel that you have to make your mind up, there's a place for mystery. And, and, yeah. and Paul talks right. about right. accepting the mystery. Exactly right.
0: <laughs> Deborah's like that. She don't care. Okay?
1: <laughs> Which way it pans out. It it sure. she, don't,
0: she don't care how it pans out. And that's fine. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I care which way it goes, okay? That's why I pursue learning about it. Well, here, here would be, the, on, on the other... Uh, and, and by the way,
2: you know, I, um, even in the last maybe six, seven months, I've just even felt heavy in my heart the necessity to reside in mystery. Like, I mean, just, there are times where I just have to reside in mystery. Um, you know, that you know, what's, the, the famous quote is, uh, be patient with all that is un- Unfit, unsettled or unfit in your heart or something like that, that um, God is working in all that anyways, all that to say, what comes to mind with the necessity to wrestle through some of this is my 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 son's friend that you've been yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. Right? Right. so my son has a friend who has grown up in an atheist home um, and uh, agnostic atheist home, he is an agnostic atheist, a high school student, friend of my uh, my son's, and uh, he he's very curious about Christianity, very curious about Jesus, asks lots of questions about it but his dad has said ever since he was a little kid that this is, this is mythology, Santa Claus, you know, and so because of that, one of the main things that he brought up was the flood, you know, like the flood. Yeah, they always like to do that. Yeah, they, and well, they bring up the flood. They talk about you know the Epic of Gilgamesh and all the others. I mean, this all stuff his dad has told him. He can't crack a Bible and get into it until something in his brain says this might not be mythology. And so when my son can come and go, there isn't a problem here. Um, when he can say that to this young man, it gives him the courage to crack the book open and go into it. It's not needed for people that have grown up in the church and believe it. I mean, when you grow up in the church, the, the debate, when, when you're forced to the debate, you sit in a class, you've grown up in the church, and if your faith is strong, you have a tendency to go, I trust my upbringing over what whatever professor is saying. Now, some people don't even do that. True. But... When you grew up in an atheist home, and that barrier is there, to have my son walk in and sit down and go, bring up bring up your bring up your issues—they're not issues to me. Let's talk about
0: them. Um, is just a massive gate opener, and so like I don't—and—and and that's what I wanted this class. I want people to understand that there are different views of literal interpretation of these texts, and if you come across them, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, your coworkers come up just like this kid and say something like that, you go, okay, I'm gonna hear more about that. That's me for Saturday morning. That's Saturday morning to have some coffee and talk about your view. Okay? Because there's not a problem. Now let me give you a problem. Okay? See this is a flood of problems, let me talk about the flood. Is Noah's flood global or worldwide? What does the Bible say? Is it global or is it worldwide? Huh? The same thing. No, it doesn't have to be the same thing. Let me give you a verse.
1: Yeah, give
0: us a verse. All right. So let's look at the verse. All right. Um, 2 Peter 2 5 and 2 Peter 3 6. 2 Peter 2 5 says this God, he's talking about, did not spare the ancient world. But preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. That might limit it. The world of the ungodly. He says that again, uh, in, uh, something similar, in Second Peter 3 6. He says, By water also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed, implying the world at the time of Noah was somehow different than the world of his readers. Okay? Dan.
1: Okay, so before I came, did y'all read the Genesis verse? Because that's interesting.
0: Wait, what verse?
1: Um, six seventeen. Read it. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under heaven. Every creature that has a breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish.
0: Right. So 40 times... In three chapters, the words, all humans, all animals, all mountains, everything, appear 40 times in those verses. Doesn't Peter know what Genesis said?
1: Surely he does say so.
0: So why would he think it's different? Why would he think the world of the ungodly was the only thing God destroyed by water? Because
3: the whole world is ungodly.
0: Where were people? There were not people in other parts of the world. How do we know?
3: Because hadn't been fully populated Why
0: yet. hadn't it been fully populated yet? We went through this last week. The population of the earth, if Adam and Eve had continued to have one child every four years for 600 years of a woman's two-thirds of her childbearing years, they would have had a population, in simple math, of 58 billion people. So why, by the time of Noah, weren't people scattered all over the world? Yeah. The Bible tells us why. Because people disobeyed God. When he said, go and multiply and be fruitful, get busy, and fill the earth, they disobeyed God. And what did they do? We know that because in chapter 10 and 11 of Genesis, after the flood, they were still trying to live together in one place. Because that's where you get the Tower of Babel story, right? So they were all trying to live in one place. They had disobeyed God for all those centuries, however many years it was, between Adam's command to go and fill the earth and Noah's command to go and fill the earth, they were still disobeying God by chapter 11. And so what it means is that people were all living in one region. So if God's going to destroy all the world of evil-doing people, he didn't have to kill, he didn't have to kill the polar bears in Antarctica. All he had to do was flood all of that region. Not locally, but a big region from Spain, Great Britain, down to Ethiopia. Great big region. Well, that's all he had to do because that's where all the people lived.
1: Yeah, but it said everything on
0: earth. Really, and that's important. But did, let's read another verse, shall we? Let's read, and you got the verses right there. Read Genesis 8, 5.
1: Of the mountains
0: became visible all right so is the water on the whole earth at that time 85 what was visible it
1: say, the, mountains, the, mountains. the tops
0: of the mountains that noah could see were visible so was the earth water on the face of the whole earth at the time not on the
4: top of
0: the mountains the answer is no it wasn't so really Genesis 8:9 just a few verses down.
3: Sent out the dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could find no place to set its feet because there was no water over all the uh, surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark.
0: Right. So here he's using the ver- total coverage of the whole earth yeah. with water, but just a few verses before he said he could see the mountains. What's going on? These are used. These are used, and if you do the and I could. Do a whole lesson on this. If you use these words, you look at them all earth, all the earth, that 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 kind of perspective, he didn't say the whole globe, he said all the earth. Alright? It could be the whole globe. If somebody believes that it was a global flood, God bless you, keep your eyes on Jesus. But if you believe what Peter says literally, that God just destroyed the world of the ungodly, the world that's different than the world Peter lived in keep your eyes on Jesus god bless you mm-hmm.
1: so it could be metaphorical, metaphorical. no it
0: could, it could be regional sense. okay yeah. now there are christians who believe right. that the noah story is metaphorical right it's just a story i don't i believe it's a literally true story
3: and there's some evidence to prove some of the flood that exists there's all kinds house. of evidence right. to prove so, all kinds of things that's I you. okay if you're rich go fly and see the evidence all right. for yourself
0: i don't have a problem with a global flood people believe that i believed it most of my life but when I read Peter, and who literally thinks it was different than the globe, I go, well, oh, maybe I should pay attention. And when I read Noah saying that the water was over the whole earth, but I could see the mountains, I'm going, maybe when he says the whole earth, he doesn't mean the whole globe. Yeah. I've been told, and I don't know where it came from, that the flood appears in all kinds of uh, ancient mm-hmm. literature, including Chinese yes if you go to the Ark Encounter they give you a whole list of them and they have a map a cool map and they actually have models of the arcs that these different crea- uh, these different cultures it's very cool and did you see that and, okay. and they had the Ark and they said okay which ones would survive and which ones weren't and the Ark the Noah built description is much more survivable all that they cover all that stuff but my question is were they the same flood my question is and they don't answer it is Gilgamesh can talk about a flood. Noah talks about a flood, or are we talking about the same flood? How do we know?
2: There's been lots of floods through time. How do we know? The, the that, one of the things that's... Uh, it, and, I mean, sitting
0: they could be the same flood. Um, don't get me wrong. They I mean, could be the same flood,
2: or they could be different floods. Yeah, the, the, I do find, whether it's of Gilgamesh, or the Norse gods version, or the Chinese version, there's, there's a number of them that have been out there. I think there's seven if I remember. Um, that 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 have these massive floods and but I, I do wonder that the one thing that is pricked in my mind and i i honest, i guess two things happen when you're a kid in seminary you sit in class you sit down with a professor that has a perspective and by the time you leave that class you go oh that's got to be right and then you go you sit in a class with another per- professor that's a different perspective and by the time you leave that class you're like oh that that that's probably the right view and, uh, and you, you find yourself jumping back and forth so I did for sure with a lot of these things that are non-salvific like they're, they're not necessary for salvation yeah. but I would sit in a class and I'd sit through one of my profs and I'd leave and I'd go oh my goodness this has got to be the right perspective then i go to another professor and he'd walk through and like oh well maybe that is the right one and I find myself you know, yeah. going back and forth on some of these issues but I will say this with the flood account the one thing that's always messed with my head a little bit too is the 40 days So um, well
0: let me, give you, let me give you a little issue about that All right, so in Genesis 8, what was used to get rid of the waters? Anybody remember? Wind. And God brought a wind to blow the waters away. How does he do that if it's a global flood? What wind? Where's the wind going? If if the water is all over the earth, Mount Everest is covered to 15 cubits of water, where's the wind? What's going on? Where's the wind going to blow it? That's a clue that it wasn't a global flood. Because there's no way... Because if it's a global flood and he's using wind to get rid of the water, where's the water going to go? Blow it where? It's just over to where other water is? How does that work? See? So that's another clue that the readers of Genesis 8 would have said, okay, that's a regional flood. Because it's wind can affect the water. Water, Wind can't affect the water of a global uh, water. Also... As you know, if we studied in this class, God's creation story, literal creation story in Psalm 104 says, I made the earth earth show up, and the waters were locked behind their doors, never to cover the earth again. It says it literally in Psalm 104 and Job 38. Okay? So who are you going to believe? You're going to believe the psalmist who said in creation, God forced the waters to be in behind locked doors that they'll never cover the earth again. Or Joe, who says the exact same thing. Or Peter, who says the exact same thing, that only the wor- world of the wicked die and covered with water. Or are you going to believe Genesis 6 and uh, Genesis 8, where Noah says all the heavens and earth and everything in the world uh, that were covered with water. Who do you believe?
1: I'm going to go to Sunday school in heaven because I'm going to get it there. Right. <laughs> so I
0: don't have a problem with a global flood and I, by reading the scriptures I can see where it could be regional. Yes.
4: I was just thinking when you're talking you hear a lot of people say you can't believe the Bible because it have got too many contradictions in it.
0: That's right. But we haven't talked about contradictions. Have we? We talked well, about... You talked
4: about Peter saying one thing... Right, but they're not
0: contradiction. No. It's
3: if they don't, how don't understand we the context it, and all the stuff behind it.
0: it. It's how it, we, it well, you point. make a very good point. I just heard a radio program this week, okay, where Christians who said, well, if that's figurative, if Noah... You're talking, it wasn't talking about Noah, it was talking about the uh, creation week. If that's figurative, then we can't believe it. Then the rest of the Bible has to f- take figurative, and all the miracles are gone. That was... But remember Colossians 2:8. Remember Colossians 2:8. I just read Colossians 2:8 to you. What did Colossians 2:8 say? Colossians 2:8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition. The idea that there can't be any figurative language in the Bible, otherwise all the miracles are invalid, is what is a deceptive philosophy born in man's tradition. See, it's not Scripture. Scripture doesn't say all of this has to be literally true, and it has to be literally true by your definition, because I'm telling you, I believe in the literal word of God. Okay? And you have to take it consistently. I take the full counsel of God. What did Noah say? What did Job say? What did the psalmist say? And what did Peter say? And then I interpret it.
2: So, like, and, even yeah, even Peter, so, like, even the, the text that I... I've got all these ridiculous tools. That, uh, so I'm going through like... The, oh, the, sure. The, <laughs> some of the original language work, which is interesting, but the word the word that's translated world that Peter uses is cosmos, and it is the... Uh, it's, 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 trans, that's right. it's translated... I mean, it, I mean, so these are the different words that it is used to translate into in ancient Greek language, right? So it's used to be translated into inhabited... So it could be an inhabited area. It yep. could be a total world. It could be a system. it could be uh, it, could, it could it's sometimes used to represent mankind or like life or intelligence a gathering. It, so the truth is, we don't know exactly what he meant um, exactly with that word at that time, at that moment. He literally could have said, even how the word is used in different parts of the, uh, different parts of ancient Greek literature, he could have meant the whole global flood, and he also absolutely could have meant a region of, of people. He could have meant either one, if you just had that that sentence alone Period. on a screen and nothing else.
0: But either when he one says be
2: right. when he says the cosmos of the
0: ungodly. Why would he put up God ungodly? Right, so,
2: that's right. So, meaning, meaning the inhabitants of the earth, the earth has become ungodly. Right. Mm-hmm. Not meaning just the part of the earth that's ungodly.
0: Yes, but they weren't there. Right? So, so well, the
2: no, question but, is, but The implication of the text, the other side could be that when God separated the exactly Godly from the, the ungodly, it was Noah was exactly, the separated group. Exactly true. Was so,
0: when you have that kind of problem, you go to the rest of Scripture, and right. you put them side by side. Right. And this is what I told you when I started this class, when I taught it, started the series that first gave me my crack in my young earth view, is that whenever I was taught on these things, including Noah's flood, right. no one ever explained Psalm 104, Proverbs 8, uh, Job 37 through 41 in context of <laughs> Noah's flood. They only or Peter, Second Peter even. Right. That they only taught it according to the words of Noah in chapter six through eight, and no one ever pointed out that in six and eight five and eight nine, Noah didn't mean the whole globe. Okay, no one ever pointed that out. Never taught it. Never showed it to me. Okay, and that's why I started to go. Wait a minute. When I read the rest of these scriptures, and they don't point to a global flood and they allow for a regional flood, I'm going, why wasn't I taught that?
2: Interesting. Well, one big thing that stands out to me, too, with that statement, that's good, Dan, is uh, how education has changed for pastors, even since I went through seminary. So, like, by the time I got into school, they were all offered to us. You're know, like, so when you're sitting down and you're looking at, I mean, everything from like...
0: Because they were available. When my dad right. came became a preacher, he didn't graduate high school. Right. He didn't know any of this stuff. And yet, he took the Bible literally, and he kept his eyes on Jesus. Right. And that's the important part. Yeah, okay? I, I,
4: I'm I, just having a difficult time here.
0: Well, me too. That's why I brought it up.
4: We're, I mean, we're talking about old or new or literal, not literal, when the whole the whole question should be about sinners who need a Savior. Right. What? What difference does it make if it's old or new or
2: what like makes?
4: your young man that you're mm-hmm. talking about? So you can talk the scientific thing with this guy, and we had the similar experience as a little girl our sure. granddaughter brought home, whose parents right. had idols in the house that they right. worshipped. Uh, how how does that tell that little guy that he's a sinner? He needs to well, so I mean, I don't the, know where. I mean, you're going to go to say, okay, the Bible's, the Bible's okay. You can read the Bible because you know it's got this or this. You can believe if it's old, new, blah, blah, blah. But you've got to believe you're a sinner. You need a savior, and Jesus Christ is your
2: answer. Right. So let's remove any barrier that gets them to that spot. Right. right. I which mean, is the truth. Which is, is the barrier, Chester Templeton had. Right. right. So the, the the truth is, any barrier. I mean, like I I, I do believe even as a pastor. That when I'm sitting in my office privately, or I'm taking the general consensus needs of the congregation as a whole, it is imperative that I sit down in sermon preparation when I go from orthodoxy to the praxis piece of ministry. That I really do go, I want, to, I want to take down every stronghold that may stand in the way that the enemy might use to keep people from truth. And so God, by your grace, if the stronghold in the young man's mind is that the Bible is just mythology, um, compiled together by a whole bunch of people and then rewritten by monks in the, you know, whatever century, and he won't even entertain the idea of Jesus because his dad said, it's all just myth. Um, then give my, give my son the ability, give me the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to remove every stronghold that would open this guy up to the story of Jesus.
0: And that's yes. exactly right. So when I talked about it this earlier in the class, we talked about this being the gardening We're learning gardening here. As Greg Kokel puts it, we're learning gardening. We're learning to till the ground, to remove the obstacles, so the gospel message can get through. If somebody like Charles Templeton, like this little boy, like like a guy I originally debated about Noah's Ark with an atheist, and I go, what am I doing? Okay, it doesn't matter whether he thinks Noah's Ark ever happened. It doesn't matter if he thinks... uh, uh, Exodus never happened. The guy that wrote the, made the documentary, we all went to. some of us went to see, about Moses writing the Torah. It doesn't matter whether Moses wrote the Torah or not.
3: Yeah.
0: It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters to me, and I believe he did, but even if he didn't, what difference does it make? It doesn't make any difference on the four core beliefs of Christians. That God exists, that the Bible is his authoritative word to man, that Jesus rose from the dead and we can be transformed by his grace. All right? That are the things that it doesn't matter whether he believes that those things are myths. You can't, you gotta encourage them to get beyond that because if they want to believe the earth is uh, billions of years old, that's fine. If they want to believe it's 6,000 years old, that's fine. If they want to believe that the Bible requires you to believe one
2: or the other, that's wrong. And, and that's and that's where everybody gets hung up. That's where they get hung and up. And so, uh, I mean, even with my, you know, even with my buddies, even with my son's buddy that you've been talking to know about a little bit. I mean, that's that's really it. I mean, because it is, it we do want to draw it to the salvific conversation. That really yeah. is what matters. <laughs> and that's exactly right. And so, when you sit down with a young man and you go, "You're a sinner and you need Jesus," and he's like, "What the heck are you talking? What do you mean by sin? I mean, are are you saying that? I mean, how am I a sinner? What have I done?" Um, you know, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, I think We're at the end of, of the day, I mean, uh, you, you have to, you, you're, you're solidifying, the, I mean, the, the, the necessity of the law was to show the need of Christ. And okay,
0: we, so we get to, what is the purpose of this class? Right. Are we going to just, week after week, tell you, teach people to, you're a sinner, you need Jesus, mm-hmm. repent. Right. That would make for a very boring class for Christians who have been in it all their lives right? That's why Hebrew says, let's move on from the milk of the basic gospel message and learn some other things. That's what we try to do in this class, right? But when you're talking to worldly people who don't have all the background we all have, uh, what you need, what we, what I encourage people to do is to not get into all the deep stuff, but to stay with the simple message of Christ. And if they allow their views to stumble they're they're cherry-picking the bible if they remember i taught you only christians don't cherry-pick the bible we take the full counsel of god it's the atheist his little friend who picks verses out of it and challenges his son oh he's cherry-picking see he's cherry-picking verses and say see you know that's what he does and and you've got to sweep that away as a problem when you're talking to an atheist like
2: that. And it's very important, there's two ways to sweep it away. One way to sweep it away is to, to like, almost like, I'm a Christian, so I'm above you, your views don't matter. And that sweeping away sweeps the person away. That's right. right. And you can't, that doesn't work. That's the, right. The, you have to sweep it away from, a, from you, have to, you have to go, <laughs> does the Epic of Gilgamesh really pose a, like a Mesopotamian origination problem with the flood story? And with my son, I'm going no. It does not pose any problem whatsoever. So when he brings up whether it's the Norse story, whether it's the ancient Mesopotamian right. ones, whether it's the I mean uh, the stuff out of China, wh- wherever, whatever he brings up, your response is, I know, I'm aware, and I don't think any of them have any problems with the actual core, right?
0: Well, you have to know that, and you have to be aware, right? That's right, and they're <laughs> not.
2: And that sweeping away, that sweeping away, acknowledges their struggle. And shows it as not being a salvific barrier. That's right. right. Shouldn't be a barrier. And, and right. so yeah, and important. so you're not sweeping away the person, you're yeah. sweeping away you're sweeping away the the false barrier that's there.
3: Yeah, and again, I mean you're right, it's right, because again, as, as uneducated and as bad as my memory is, I've shared with you many a times how just right on spot it was at a walk in a park that a guy that wasn't a believer or you know, the other one or the other one, uh, by remembering, by the Holy Spirit giving me some uh, rough way of spitting out some knowledge that I learned from these things, uh, got that man to start listening, and, and it resulted in a two-hour extra-long walk talking about the Lord because he finally right. listened because some of that knowledge that was shared forward. uh on. Hmm.
2: Yeah, and, that's good. And the other, the other big part of it too that I just threw out there that makes it such a big deal. Yeah.
3: I wish is, I could remember
2: it all. Is a, <laughs> it, it, it takes away from our kids before we send them out. Because when my son steps into a secular classroom, which he does, all my kids are, and those professors take this like, or even that young man sitting down with my son, and he says things like, oh, I got this huge problem that's going to destroy your faith. He doesn't say it that way, but that's the implication. What about, and my son goes, I'm aware of it all. But he, has he just to be removes aware. the fear from kids. Yeah, it does. Fears. That's right. And so, like, why would I want to raise my children and not give them the tools to stand strong in culture? But I mean. they, but they have to be taught.
0: Yes. and aware right. of this stuff, yes. right? Oh, uh, oh, Frank Terrick says people are talked out of their faith because they were never talked into it. Amen. And, yeah. and, and right. that, but it takes time. It takes classes. Yeah. It takes yeah. education. Like it takes a... Jan, you wanted to say I something? Well, I was like just going to
1: say, in, in my background, my mm-hmm. church did not teach the authority of the Bible. And when I wanted to become a Christian, they didn't upstairs. give me the tools. And mm-hmm. this was the intellectual turmoil for right. me. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit got me because I hungered and thirsted and I became saved before my mind understood the authority of Scripture. And if this friend really wants it, he'll find it. The Holy Spirit, the Lord will find him.
0: And we have to keep we have to keep the doors of communication open. okay, right. we've got to wrap it up. but if you're re- if you are pro- have a problem with anything that was taught today, then you were paying attention. <laughs>
1: okay?
2: uh, because
0: these are problems that I have wrestled with, okay. right? Or
2: are still wrestling? And
0: still, some of them I'm still wrestling with. But my conclusion is, God's word is true; it's literally true, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the whole counsel of God it should be taken into account. And everybody should be pointed to Jesus, and we need to keep our own eyes on Jesus. But God gave us a direction to consider the glory that comes from considering what he actually did and not what our philosophy and tradition says he did. All right? And that takes discernment. Who gives us discernment? The Holy Spirit in enlightening us as we take into counsel the full counsel of God. So, as we're wrapping this up, consider that that creates a problem in learning and in seeking the Holy Spirit's education, enlightenment, on what God actually did so we can benefit from his glory. All right? I'm going to pray now because I want to and not because I'm continually told to do so. Okay? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful lesson, of these problems that we can seek. Your guidance as each one of us tries to wrestle with what you have done and to understand it in light of your creation, what your literal uh, word tells us. Lord, give us the inspiration to push forward in wrestling with the flood of problems we see from our own philosophy, from our own traditions. And Lord, give us the wisdom and the courage to abandon those in light of what your Holy Spirit teaches us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now
3: come on and tell them go out and give them heaven
0: this week. Go out and give them heaven this week. That's right. No
3: good
2: questions. I, I, I still don't get it. I still don't
3: get it. Um,
1: well, let
2: me put it this way. Think
1: of all the people that Billy Graham led to the Lord.